Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, episode 26. I'm Mike Pownell and joined once again by Katie Arline. Good morning, Katie. How are things? Oh, just wonderful. You know, had a nice weekend. It's nice and summery here finally, which is lovely. No kidding. So we have a very interesting subject to talk about today. And uh, every time we record a podcast, we sort of, Katie and I go back and forth, like, what's going on in your world? What are you hearing? What's Mm -hmm. important to you? And I know this one uh, was one of your ideas. So maybe you can just sort of give some background on why you think this subject is important. Yeah, for sure. So uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've talked with a few clients, uh, both here in Canada and in the States, who they've taken a step to solicit feedback from their staff. And when they ask for anonymous feedback, they generally get pretty good results But then when they ask for feedback one-on-one, people aren't really giving them what they need. So for whatever reason, you know, I mean, anonymous feedback, any feedback is wonderful. Anonymous feedback is great. But if you need to dig down a little bit deeper or get more context, it's difficult to do so. So people have been trying to bridge the gap and trying to get candid, honest feedback from people. And they're struggling. The staff aren't coming forward. And they're sort of stuck in, what do I do with this, this sort of general feedback that I'm getting when I can't get anything deeper. So I thought it might be interesting to talk about uh, why staff are hesitant to give feedback and what we can do as managers and leaders and really as colleagues to help get people feeling more comfortable with with giving feedback. So I don't know if this is something that you found in uh, at McKee Pownell as well, Mike, over the years. Oh, I mean, I think this is a great subject because, yeah, you think you're getting great feedback and Often, as the leader, as the person who signs the check, there's a stage where people are probably going to try to tell you what they think you want to hear because they don't want to make a wave, they don't trust you, uh, they're they're worried how you're going to react, mm-hmm. uh, or they don't want to be quote unquote the you know the snitch, the whistleblower. And as a leader, you're so frustrated because you're like. If I knew about things, I could make change or I could make the process happening. But if nobody tells me anything, nothing will change. So it's a, it's a really vicious circle. Totally. But I like what you just mentioned, too, in your introduction, though, that it's not just managers and leaders, but it's also colleagues. Because, mm-hmm. again, we've had situations in the past where I've heard of colleagues talking, like, let's say, vets talking to other vets or technicians talking to other tech. I know I talk to them, but I, I think something still is going on. They're not really being forthcoming. So I'm, I'm really excited to dig into this one. So I was thinking, uh, you know, there are various types of feedback that people are hesitant to give things like you're thinking of changing a policy 
and you ask for feedback and even if it affects them, the good old, they say they're okay with it, but they're really not okay with it. I think that's one of the most frustrating things. And and that's that vicious circle that you talked about. You're really trying to cross all your T's and dot all your I's and looking for feedback. And then when they're disingenuous or they don't want to give it to you for some reason, for whatever reason, it could be so frustrating because you you sort of forge ahead thinking everybody's okay with it. And then, you know, two weeks or a month later or whatever the time frame is, you hear that they're not. And it's so frustrating. Also, giving feedback on when somebody isn't pulling their weight is super difficult as well. Obviously, you talked a little bit about not wanting to rock the boat or not wanting to tattle on somebody. So giving that type of feedback is really difficult as well. I think also performance feedback about management specifically, that's so difficult too. I've done a lot of employee engagement surveys, obviously, that we've, we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. And one of the interesting things when I go back and I do the one-on-one interviews with people is, you know, I ask them, are you, are you able to give input when there's a policy change? And they say, yeah, well, we can give input, but they're just going to do what they want anyway. So what's the point? Or when we say, you know, what's the feedback on the manager? And they say, well, like you said, they sign my check. So I'm, I just do what they tell me to do. And obviously that's not really productive. And that's not a really clear way to get feedback to management to the people that need it. So that's another type that they're hesitant to give. And this is another one. And it, it popped up in one of the articles that we'll talk about here in a moment. But also feedback is also making bold decisions and owning bold decisions. So it's that hesitance to sort of step up and say, uh, something needs to change, or I need to make a decision, people can be really hesitant about that as well. You know, it's it's a confidence thing, but it's making a decision as a form of feedback as well. So I thought that was an interesting one that came up in the, the article here I'm about to talk about. So are there other types of feedback that you can think of, Mike, that I haven't mentioned? No, no. I think the one that really resonated with me, and I, and I remember early in my career when I first started our practice, you know, asking for feedback, wanted to be very inclusive. And thinking that I, I was succeeding, and this predates your time uh, joining the company, and until I remember one day, one person came to me in absolute frustration and just like, you always ask for our feedback and you never, ever, 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 ever use any of it. Yeah. And, and so why should we? And, and she came to me in tears because she was just so damn frustrated. And it was one of those yeah. light bulb moments. And I was like, oh, Yeah. And I think really as a young leader at that time, I was so insecure. You read the books and it's very easy to read the leadership books and they say, do this, do that. You're like, oh yeah, I'm that kind of leader. I I sit there and I sit down and go, oh yeah, give me your feedback. I want to hear it. Power to the people. And then you never use it. It really reflected my own insecurity as a leader that obviously I didn't trust others. When I look back on it and the people that were there, I had every reason to trust them. They did a great job. They were really wanting to do the best. But I was just so determined that my way was the right way. Yeah, so no wonder they didn't really want to give me feedback after a while. Totally. It's a great reason why employees are hesitant. Are, you know, I can think of certain people that we've worked with over the years where they have excellent ideas, but they're the type of personality where if you mishandle one of their ideas early on, they're never going to give you any ideas again. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't go through with it, but you don't give them, you don't give them a chance to sort of talk it over. Or you don't sort of say, can you tell me more about this? 
before you say, I'm, I'm not sure this will work or how can we make this work? It's really damaging because it's the, you know, those introvert people or the people who just, uh, it takes a lot of courage for them to say anything. It can be really stunting for them and it, it lasts for years that, mm-hmm. that sort of hangover of, well, you never like my ideas and people take it personally. And, you know, everybody's at their own stage as far as where they are with their confidence and their self actualization and stuff like that at work. So I think we have to be really sensitive to that. But, you know, there are lots of consequences when we don't get the feedback we need. We talked about a few of them, but. I read this article, it's by MIT Sloan Management Review. Really, I mean, they're always such thought-provoking, excellent, long articles. Uh, This is from June, early June, by Jim Dettert and Evan Bruno. It's called The Courage to be Candid. So uh, it's online. We'll put the links in our show notes. But I thought it was really interesting, and it goes into much more depth and sort of a different direction than we're taking things. But what I thought was interesting is... What these uh, researchers did is a study that related levels of courageous behavior to the perceived effectiveness of various team-related markers. So courageous behavior is that sticking your neck out and giving feedback. But what they say is that obviously the consequences of not being able to give feedback, you know, a weaker team, smaller uh, capabilities resilience is lacking, uh, there could be a lack of productivity, and ultimately an inauthentic or an unhealthy culture leading to less employee engagement. So that's sort of where they're coming from. But this study that they did showed that when employees demonstrate more courageous behavior at work, they see better outcomes in three areas uh, that are sort of seen as essential for effective teams. That's meeting and exceeding performance expectations, fostering team cohesion and growth, and supporting individual learning and well-being. So I think that that was really interesting to sort of look at it on a more global scale. And like I said, it's very in-depth and it sort of goes in a different direction than we're talking about today. But uh, they do talk about this real correlation between not being able to give feedback and uh, weaker teams and weaker cultures. And I think we talked about it already, but that that good old feeling of you think that everybody's on the same page. And then two weeks later, you hear that this person actually didn't agree, but for whatever reason, they don't want to upset their colleagues could be socially problematic for them, or maybe they're a newer employee and they just don't know how much they can rock the boat. But when you don't get that honest feedback, it's just so stunting and it's hard Mm -hmm. to get things done. The article talks a little bit more here about why employees are hesitant in a little more detail and obviously fear that, you know, the two main things they talk about are fear and futility. So that fear of consequences, hard to give feedback on your boss. I mean, we've definitely gone into practices, you and I, through Oculus, where the employees have never been asked to give feedback and they're manager or owner or whoever it is that's hired us has never really received feedback or they're not good at receiving feedback. So, you know, it's very risky for these people. And there are definitely cases where there are grudges held once feedback is given. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not dealt with. An owner might say, well, that person said this about me two years ago and I don't like them. And it's like, well, what the heck? It's not very healthy way. It's like you this, ask for feedback and you get it and you just automatically yeah, discount it. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like, well, I'm going to do some lab results and the PCV is really high. I'm not going to listen to that. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in this study, it said that 89% of respondents were most afraid of consequences from their boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether they're going to get treated differently or have a grudge held against them. 
uh, like I said, it was especially problematic for entry-level employees who don't know how to do things, or they're just sort of like, well, that, that person's the expert, so how could I come in and give feedback? And I think the interesting thing is that often entry-level people are people who come into the business not having a whole raft of experience. They're looking at things with fresh eyes. So when you're stunting those people who are less adept at your business and understanding what's going on, uh, or they've come in straight from school and they're learning new things at school, you know, hopefully they're at a school where progress is happening. So maybe there's a different way to do things. So when you're not encouraging feedback from that level of an employee, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting one that they talk about too in the article, putting your neck out and asking for feedback or doing a postmortem on a failed project or an unexpected outcome has the potential to uncover a weakness in yourself and make it known to everybody. And obviously that vulnerability is so hard. And I'm sure you're going to talk about this later when you talk a little bit about your article, but we talk a ton about vulnerability as a leader and having that balance of being vulnerable, but still being seen as reliable. And this is a real thing. You know, you screwed up. And then when you sort of open it up to everybody else to give you feedback, it can be so hard. And then we talked about it already, the the fear of the second half of that is the futility where they've spoken up before, nothing's happened, or their idea wasn't received well, and they feel stung by it, and it can last. One article that I just dipped into for an interesting stat uh, from hrdirector.com, it's called the ROI or the Return on Investment of Anonymous Employee Feedback by Claire Schmidt. They conducted uh, a study that showed that 41% of employees have left a job in the past because they didn't believe their employer was listening to them. And a further 18% had contemplated leaving for that reason. And I think that this really parallels the experiences that, you know, I've had working in HR with Oculus with our wonderful clients that we have all over the globe, really. When people are so enthusiastic about coming on and then when they feel like management doesn't hear them and sort of isn't actually interested in what they have to say, it it doesn't necessarily take all that long for them to say, well, I'm getting out of here because I'm not seen as having useful things to contribute. I think, I hope that we've established the consequences of not making sure that you are soliciting feedback in a healthy way. Let's move on to your article, Mike. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. I thought it was very interesting. It's a good article. It's from uh, Harvard Business Review. And I like mm-hmm. it. It just came out earlier, June 11th, 2021 by Ron Carucci, based on a 15-year study that he did of more than 3,200 leaders on organizational honesty for a book that he has called, To Be Honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and Purpose. And, you know, as you were talking, I'll go through his, but uh, there's another factor I think that is really, really important. So if I don't get to it, just make sure you remind me. Okay. What he says is some of these are really obvious, but the fact that we have to mention them is it's still hard for us to sometimes do as leaders the obvious thing. So, number one, be who you say you are. When you have company values, you've got to live your values. So when you're talking about that your values are collaboration, well, when you're asking for feedback, this is, we've already said it before, consider it, implement it, have a discussion on it, make sure that you're actually listening and pondering it. And I think sometimes as leaders, the flip side of this is that we're sometimes afraid to give feedback to our employees. 
for all the same reasons that they don't want to give feedback back to us. And I'm just thinking of an example right now. And I think this is sort of an element of how I've grown as a leader over the last number of years. And so in our organization, we're putting together internal training programs. So when everybody comes on board, they're getting the same training. And we're trying to make it simpler because uh, for technicians, for example, no matter when they start, I mean, we have a foundation on, you know, how to set up dentistry machine, how to clean up a dentistry machine. And so the woman that I'm working with, who's been with us a long time, put together some great videos. We're working on an online program as a structure and she sent me stuff and you know what 80 percent of it was great and i think a lot of people would be like i'm just going to be happy with that and not comment on the 20 percent but you know one of our values is to be accountable and to seek excellence and so you know i had to talk to her about the other 20 percent and i think by respectfully having that feedback and offering it from you being the leader to others in a very constructive way I know we've had a past podcast on how to say thank you, and it's very targeted. It's very specific on the action. Well, I think feedback is the same way. And so instead of just saying, well, yeah, the other 20% was really weak and I didn't like that. It was like, this is how we can make it better. Mm -hmm. It opens up that expectation then that I would take that feedback in the same kind of way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this goes back to just live your values uh, and just try to be consistent. So if you make a mistake, say it, come out mm -hmm. right out and just say, you know what? I didn't handle that right. I, I remember, I think I've talked about it before. We had a meeting with some vets and I made a comment. I could just sort of feel that this went over like a lead balloon. Something wasn't right. And I did some reflection and I was like, ah, you know what? There were some elements that I really didn't disclose everything. Uh, it was sort of like, I'm doing this because, and well, a major decision needs an explanation. And I went back the next week and I just said, you know, yeah, I let you down. Uh, I didn't really explain what was going on. And, and there was a bit of a personal issue. So I had to be vulnerable and just say, this is something that's going on in my life that made me react the way it did. And that wasn't fair. And you, then you could see with them the palpable change of them like, oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate Mike coming forward and just a, recognizing that there is a gap in what he says to do and what he actually does. And then he sort of explained where it came from. And it just, if I show that I'm human, again, you want to demonstrate that when they come to you as human, you'll respond in kind. I love that comment. And I think a couple of things that popped into mind for me is I love the leaders showing vulnerability and owning up, screwing up. What employees are looking for that is that next step of accountability and sort of you as a leader need to figure out how you're not going to let that happen again. And that's the yeah. general you, not the Mike Pownell you, but yeah, you know, in that I'm sure when in a situation like this crops up for you, you'll get like a cold chill and you'll be like, okay, careful, yeah. <laughs> be careful here. So yeah. I think that uh, that's so important, but also just you going back and, and explaining what happened, it takes out, we've talked about this a million times on the podcast, it takes out that element of assumption on their part mm -hmm. of, you know, they're making up a story because they didn't have all the information that they're making up a story about your motives. And the sooner that you can kind of go in and mea culpa and say, I screwed up uh, and this is what was going on and apologizing, the better so that that, that story doesn't run rampant. And I think another great area to develop trust and leadership is I think a good leadership, and this goes back to a definition of leader, is having a vision and helping others achieve it together. 
but part of doing that is making other people better. So your job as a leader is to make others shine, to give them support, the education, the platform, whatever they need to shine. You don't want to be the business where all that decisions come from just one person. The power of the group far exceeds the individual contributions. And so I was reading this article and I, and I really like this thing of make them the stars, let them have their ideas come out and acknowledge whose idea was. So instead of saying, well, we just came out of the meeting and we just asked we're going to do this. It's like, you know what? Jane had this idea that is spectacular. And I'm really glad that Jane brought it forward because I think this really addresses the problem we're having. And we're really excited to implement uh, some of the suggestions that she had. So it doesn't always have to be you as a leader. In fact, yeah. it should rarely be you, but acknowledge those other people. That's such a good point. The journey of a leader into self-awareness and emotional intelligence and all of that stuff is that you sometimes can't be the one with all the good ideas. And, you know, I've seen it, not with you, but I've seen it before at other places we've worked where staff come up with something. And then when it gets rolled out, all of a sudden it's the leader's idea. And uh, it's so frustrating where you're like, perhaps I've been in this position before as well, where you're like, well, what the hell? Why is this such a great idea now? Uh, whereas before you didn't think it was, and then they've sort of taken it and made it their own. Uh, So that's very frustrating for sure. And I've been in that position. I know I've been with other people and we've shared ideas. And then you hear through the grapevine that this person has brought up this great idea to another group and has totally claimed it as their own. Mm -hmm. I was like, really? Why should I share anything with you? Because it's my idea. I came up with it. And I think it's human nature we like to be acknowledged and Mm -hmm. we like to be acknowledged when we do good things. For sure. So, and the flip side of that though, is you have to have a safe place to fail. So when things don't go as planned, there's a line here that I, I highlighted several times. When others make mistakes, even substantial ones, make sure that accountability includes keeping their self-respect intact. Hallelujah. Because instead of just, Oh, well, yeah, Jane brought up this idea that totally blew up in her face. Like, Jane's never coming back with an idea again because you've just shone the spotlight on her of bad ideas. And so I think you really have to, when things don't go as planned, there's often many, many reasons. And I think it's good to have a good postmortem afterwards and be very fair about it. But it's not all because of Jane's idea. No. You know, there's execution. There's probably communication from the leadership and how this is supposed to work. There's a lot of things. To me, I think that's just the line. Whenever you're dealing with staff, when they make a mistake, don't tear into them. Don't take apart their self-respect. The idea was still great. Maybe the execution wasn't so good. And is that all their fault? And again, like I mentioned it already, and I think one of the more damaging things you can do as a leader is to hold that grudge or hold, yeah. hold that over their heads forever. Yeah. Like it yeah. just, uh, it breaks my heart when I see this happening because that person knows they might go from the golden child and then they have one bad idea and all of a sudden, you know, they're like yeah. polishing shoes and it's like, yeah. well, well, it's not very fair. And that person is going to get disenfranchised quickly. Yeah. You know, when things don't work, often it's not the idea was bad. There's other elements. Uh, the other thing I thought about too, and I think this was, goes back to a learning moment from that same person who had talked to me earlier about, I never listened to their ideas is 
they used to have a mantra I want is if you have a problem, come to me with a solution. Yeah. And I think that's totally half-assed backwards because it's one thing for them to identify a problem. Uh, it's really lazy on the part of leaders to assume that they're going to have the answers. Not everybody has the answers. And sometimes they're coming to you as a leader to say, here's a problem. Uh, they don't necessarily expect you as a leader to have the immediate answer. All right, let's have a discussion. Let's analyze and let's go through this process and understand where the problem comes from. One of the things I've learned uh, over the years is when a problem shows up, it's very rarely the person. It's more mm-hmm. often the process or the systems in place. But I think when you go to somebody, yeah, if you have a problem, make sure you come to me with an answer. Well, right off the bat, you're just limiting them and they're never going to come to you with their problem or, or feedback because they don't have the answer. You know, they don't necessarily have the experience or the training that you would as a manager or a leader. So they're coming to you for help. And if you're just saying, if you're going to jump yourself in a lake, bring your own life uh, preserver with you. That's no. So yeah, I think you definitely have to be, I think having them come in and knowing that they're not a toddler, that's like, you know, I drop my bottle and I need you to pick it up. But them having some idea or some indication that they've thought about the problem a little more. I think that's great. But then you definitely need to go through it together. Otherwise, you're sort of just like a a manager, like small M manager, where you're just facilitating, but not necessarily helping or mentoring or coaching. You said that often it's the system or it's the process that's the problem. I think the pickle that we can get into sometimes as leaders, if we don't want to give hard feedback to is, we can almost blame the system too much. And then it avoids you having to talk to the person. So I think a good example of this is when you have somebody who's a repeat offender about something, and then you send an email out to everybody and everybody sort of gets hit with a little bit of shit. (laughs) And it's like, this is a thing that needed to be talked about with that person to make sure that they understood what the expectations are. So it's a bit of that passive aggressive. And then you piss off the people who are doing it right. And they come to you and they're like, well, what the hell? Like I was doing it right the whole time. And I can totally see their side of things too. So I think you have to be mindful about sometimes it is a person problem. So just something to keep in mind. Absolutely. The last thing in this article, I mean, there's other elements, but just in terms of relevance to our profession is balance transparency with discretion. Mm -hmm. And as you were giving your introduction, I was also, I just made a note to myself, I have seen it. Somebody goes to the leader saying, you know, here's a problem, or I have seen a person X not do what they're supposed to do. And then before you know it, uh, you as a leader have gone to person X and say, well, Jane has just been telling me about it. And then you have that triangulation. It gets back to Jane, who's been telling you. And then, well, I'm not going to talk to Mike anymore because he's Mm -hmm. just going to blab it all over the office. And so... One of the things I enjoy that I've liked over the years when I get my feedback, you know, when we do my own personal review is people say, I can go to Mike with a problem and it remains confidential. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, all right, the problem has been identified and it just doesn't go into this horrible thing of like, he said, she said, she said, and just yeah, being I mean, ideally, ideally, you'd have some kind of a system in place where people understand sort of how problems are dealt with at the practice so that they don't have that fear of, I'm going to tell Mike and it's like a sieve. He's just going to like, it's all going to leak out everywhere, but it's going to be dealt with in a way that I'm comfortable with and we'll collaborate on how to deal with this. That's a great point. 
So that's my article. Before we uh, jump into the last article, Katie, we have a new sponsor for Hire the Smile, and that is a brand new online course by Utrecht University in the Netherlands, College of Veterinary Medicines. They have a new online course called Management Strategy and Leadership for Veterinary Professionals. Wow. Every day, veterinarians work with great passion and dedication. Both the animal and the client demand and receive all their time and attention. What a great profession we have. But just going along with the flow of the day does not always take us to where we want to be. Utrecht University, their College of Veterinary Medicine, has made a new module online course starting later this year to help veterinarians, practice owners, uh, managers navigate their course. The five models of the curriculum will take you on a fact-finding mission, learning about yourself, your playing field, your business, your opportunities, and provides you with new skills and insights to live your dream. Sign up today for the first module and join an international group of veterinarians and practice managers that want to combine their veterinary skills with new entrepreneurial skills. All for the benefit of the animals, their owners, society, your business, and yourself. So registration ends August 1st, 2021. So just over a month left to register. The program uh, will be in English. It will be all online. So wherever you are in the world, you can attend. And so go to the website of www.uu.nl and look under continuing education. Great initiative. So I think having that kind of really focused online course would be just great for the profession. I digress. Back to your last article. So the last article uh, that I looked at for this topic is uh, from Forbes, and it is from May 27th, 2021 called How to Encourage Candid Employee Feedback, 14 Tips for CEOs. And it's it looks like it's sort of a collaborative deal uh, by the Forbes quote-unquote registered trademark expert panel. Uh, so there are a number of people that contributed to this article. So I'm not going to go through all 14, but I'll touch on some of them that I thought uh, resonate a little more with me. The first couple, I think, are something we've talked about before, but like ask people, <laughs> you know, we're talking about feedback and you have to make sure that you're giving people an opportunity to give feedback and it, and offer it in different ways. So, you know, whether it's a yearly employee engagement survey, or it could be a simpler quarterly um, employee net promoter score survey, gather feedback on various topics. So it could be, you know, that you do a quarterly survey just to gather some feedback on manager performance or you're just doing a pulse survey, you know, every month or so that says, hey, how do you feel about stress at our practice, just to give people more opportunities to give feedback in different ways that they're comfortable with. And also something we didn't necessarily touch on, and we talked about it a little bit here, is being able to adjust your reactions as the leader. Again, if people have come to you with feedback before and you've dealt with it badly, that sticks with them so much. Being careful as a leader, too, not to jump into reasons why an idea won't work. You know, I can think of somebody that we both worked with for a long time where you think of like 99% of the time something's going to work, but this person always comes out with the 1%. And they're not necessarily wrong. You know, that 1% of the time something could go catastrophically wrong with this idea, but it can be really demoralizing when you just go to the why this won't work. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm 100% sure as a leader that this is something that you've dealt with because perhaps earlier in my career when I was starting with Mickey Palinol, I was one of these people that was a this won't work people. And now that I deal with groups and in more management level, it's it's can be so frustrating. So having to understand how to receive feedback and how to 
also teaching your managers on how to receive feedback. Because you as a leader, you might have gone to all the CE, you've been doing this for a while. But as we've seen at a lot of veterinary practices, you've got a lot of newer managers in who have just sort mm-hmm. of stepped up from a line position, whether they were an RBT or they were a customer service rep or something like that. They need training on how to do this. Because yep. feedback can sometimes be seen as a personal affront or a personal attack. Or you think you're doing everything right for your employees. And, you know, you've talked about this in the context of the employee engagement survey. Like, look at all these wonderful initiatives we have. And then they crap all over us about this other thing. And it can be easy to be jaded about that kind of thing. So really need to train ourselves to be neutral and train ourselves on how to listen and how to take action on ideas. So I thought that was a really excellent one. Well, yeah. I just thinking about that, I, I think a lot of managers we see, and you touched upon, they may not necessarily have the training, but they also could be new to the position. And there's such insecurity with that. Mm-hmm. And so when you start hearing all this feedback from you know your previous peers, uh, and now you're in this management position, also you feel attacked. Totally. It's like, oh, it's my fault that I've, you know, it's they're coming after me that I've caused all these things. And but no, they're just coming to you because they have sensed that you say you're open for change. Uh, you want feedback, so you better listen and, and consider it. Yeah. It's not and it's, a personal attack. Yeah, it's that old thing that I say over and over whenever I do training about feedback is it's not personal, it's business. Yeah. And it can be so hard to separate the two uh, because of you know the amount of effort and love and blood, sweat and tears we put into business. But yeah. it's it, you really have to train and reframe yourself to think about feedback differently. 100%. So another thing that this expert panel uh, brought up, which seems like such a no-brainer, is acting on the feedback. So if you encourage feedback, you know, I talked about just a second here ago about the different ways that you can solicit feedback. You have to be prepared to do something about it. Because if they give feedback, they stick their neck out, they give feedback and nothing happens, they're going to stop. So you need to be able to act on it or at least show that you've heard and you're taking steps. You know, like whenever we do employee engagement survey, we always encourage the owners of the practice, the management to go and tell people what, what the feedback was and talk about what you're going to do to address it. Otherwise, you're just, it's really a futile exercise. Another one that they suggest is, like you said, being the example, especially considering a public pre or postmortem of an effort or an initiative, show that you're not afraid of feedback and be vulnerable enough to see where you went wrong. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a tiny little bit, but leaders need to be able to talk to employees at all levels. So that idea of making sure you're asking entry-level employees, you know, who have been there a couple of weeks, start early as a leader, you know, check in with them after two weeks and say, hey, how's your training gone so far? What Mm -hmm. can we do differently? You might be tempted, and I mean, veterinary practices are generally smaller, but say in the the instance of Mickey Panel, where you've got multiple locations, you as Mike, you might not always talk to the entry-level employees right away, you know, you kind of rely on the managers to do that, which I think is great and is appropriate, but it's important for the leader themselves to sort of get in there and ask questions as well. So you can start building that trust right from the beginning. And when you say, you know, you have your town hall meeting and you say, I have an open door policy, the people are like, well, I don't even know where your door is. That (laughs) That shouldn't be the case for sure. And showing, you talked about showing, saying thank you and showing gratitude but showing gratitude for their input, making sure that you're building that psychologically safe workplace. Uh, And, you know, especially if people are coming from other practices or other businesses, people are going to be tentative if they have experienced this in the past. 
I sort of uh, was spoiled a bit after coming off working at McKee paneling and working, going into Oculus and working with other practices where you're just like, well, why wouldn't you just tell somebody your feedback? And, you know, people, there's such a spectrum of the way that businesses run. And uh, sadly for us, not everybody hears our message. So, you know, uh, you sort of shake your head sometimes at the experiences that people have had with feedback. But showing that gratitude for input, asking for input right away can be a really good way to build that trust. And uh, that's pretty much the deal. We'll put the link uh, to the rest of the tips in our show notes, like we said earlier. But I thought this was uh, a really good article from Forbes on some ideas on how leaders can foster this feedback culture in their practices. Wonderful. Great. Thank you. Great idea. Love it. We see this a lot, and I'm sure many leaders, managers can uh, recognize themselves in this. So, and it, and I mean, it's ongoing. So it's not like uh, just say, I don't want to come across like I've got to figure it out. No. As you said, you know, as you were talking about talking to new employees, I mean, we've got some new employees, and I was like, yeah, Katie's right. I got to reach out to them and talk to them. So it's it's always a work in progress. So thank mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. So uh, today, uh, this episode, we alternate between wins and fails and productivity hats. So do you have one, Katie? I do. All right. So this one I was reminded of. I used to use it and then I uh, reinvented it for myself. Uh, so if you have either an iPhone or an Android phone, what I love to use is the Reminder app, which I mean, okay, it's a Reminders app, whatever. But the best part is Remind by Location. So basically you set the thing to remind you when you arrive at a certain location that you need to do something. So it's not like a date-based, it's not a time-based thing, but let's say I was going to your house for a meeting and I needed to remember to drop some books off that I borrowed from you a year and a half ago, which may or may not be a true thing. Uh, but I was going to bring sh- that up actually. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but it could, I could basically set um, my, either my native iOS app in Apple But also uh, there are Google, uh, you know, there's something called Google Keep, which is another reminder app. And you can tell your Google Assistant, you can tell Siri to just do it for you. But I think that it's it's really interesting. So you basically, you set the app, you can either tell it to remind you at a certain place or set the address in yourself. And basically when you cross over the geofence into that area and you can set the geofence where it's like, okay, well, when I'm within... 500 meters of this address remind me or a kilometer or 10 feet or whatever the case may be, uh, it'll pop up and it'll tell you to remember to do that. So super handy if you're kind of going here and there and you need to remember to drop things off. Let's say you're going from one practice to another and you're supposed to drop off medications. Uh, This can be something that's super helpful. So that's my suggestion for this week. I love that. I did not know that existed. I'm going to start using that. Yeah, Yeah. that's really cool. Really cool. So mine may sound counterintuitive at first, and I think you'll appreciate this one. And where this comes from is over the last three weeks, I've been having to spend a lot of time at one of our other practices, and it has really thrown my schedule and upheaval. It's just totally changed. And one of the things that I haven't done well in the last three weeks and has really impacted my productivity in a negative way is exercise in a regularly scheduled time. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, well, Jesus, I'm already so busy. You want me to add another half an hour or an hour to my day? And what I have learned by not being so consistent with my routines is I'm far less productive. I'm far less disciplined. I have mm-hmm. far less focus. And so when we're talking about productivity, I have really, it's been such a 
clear thing for me in the last few weeks that when I can schedule my time during the week to get exercise, the benefits are not just better health, but it's that focus, it's that discipline. And by making it a priority, you know, I am just, I'm focused on my work and I get what work I need to get done, done so I can have my exercise. So love it. That's a great one. Adding the extra half hour, hour adds so much more to your day. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. Well, thanks, Katie. That was a great discussion. Hope everybody gets a lot out of that. I'm sure they will. And uh, we'll see you in another couple of weeks. Thanks, Mike. See ya. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.